From the visionary minds of the guys who brought you the hit series, Reboot, comes Movies We Were Way Too Young To See. A podcast series that is exactly what it sounds like. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Movies We Were Way Too Young To See. A look at some of the most influential films we grew up watching, regardless of parental approval. I am your co-host Mowgli, and sitting next to me, as always, the man, the myth, the mouth. Welcome, everybody. Mr. Alvarez. <laughs> what up, guys? How you doing? Happy 2022. Huh? Happy 2022, Mowgli. We're here still. We are here. We've plugged in. And boy, do we have an episode for you. I'm too excited, and I hope, I hope I'm going to tell our audience already. Sorry if I get a little bit too crazy. This is just one of my favorite, favorite films of all time. You got the Air Morpheuses right here, right? Yeah, I'm wearing them right now. I call them your little Matrix slides. That's how dedicated this guy is as a Matrix fan. Oh yeah, I got me that 20th anniversary K-Swiss Matrix slides. One thing before we get into this, our scheduling was so backed up. This was originally intended to be a Christmas Day episode, um, but we missed our deadline. <laughs> Merry Christmas! My bad. Before we start, Mowgli. I got one question for you. Are you ready to learn what the Matrix is? There's no turning back, Malv. I need to know what the Matrix is, and the audience needs to know as well. Well, since we're owning an audio format right now, I can't show you what the Matrix is, but I can tell you. The Matrix is a computer system that was made to enslave the whole human population. That's our Christmas story. We'll begin from there. <laughs> Feliz Navidad, everybody. <laughs> okay, Malv, I think it's time to get into the movie we were way too young to see for the week. A film that, in all honesty, made me really want to follow the White Rabbit. We're talking about the 1999 sci-fi action epic, The Matrix. The film released March 31st, 1999, Actually won four Oscars. Best film editing, best sound, best sound effects, and best visual effects. Not only was this film super successful, it spawned so many different sequels, video games. Never forget the video games. The original 1999 Matrix, then the Matrix Reloaded, the Matrix Revolutions. We have the Animatrix, which is its own little... Supplemental stories, like, you have, like, kind of prequel stories as well into them, and, like, concurrent one with the original movie. This is your favorite film of all time, right? This is what this is my favorite franchise, I would say. I'm I love the Matrix trilogy, so I, this is our time to talk about it, man. I'm ready cuz the new one's out. And that's why we're doing this so we could just talk about this one first, the OG, where it all started. Let's go ahead and read the log line for the listeners. When a beautiful stranger leads computer hacker Neo to a forbidding underworld, he discovers the shocking truth. The life he knows is the elaborate deception of an evil cyber intelligence. Whoa. <laughs> it was written and directed by the Wachowskis and the stars of this movie. Keanu Reeves obviously leads this off as Neo. We have Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity, Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith. I have another thing that just came to me right now. I see a lot of similarities kind of between Agent Smith and the T-1000. Mm, they're silhouette. Yeah, their, their frame 
And I don't know if you would agree with me, but uh, definitely rewatching this again, I was focusing on Smith, but like I've always knew it and that's why I liked him, but he is funny. And I find like the T-1000 is kind of funny, you know, when he wags his finger, you know, like the no, no, no. Like I would love more Hugo, you know, because like I would love actual like actors who I consider real dramatic actors to do more like action-y roles. Because for me, this is a full-blown action role for him. Because remember, he's the antithesis of Neo, you know, so he his skill has to like first exceed Neo's and then eventually match it. And, like, I think Hugo Weaving does, like, a good job at showing that evolution. Um, How could I forget Joey? Yeah, Joey the, good old, the good old Joey Pantoliano. <laughs> Man, he's so good. Really, he makes a good villain, too. One of the best character actors ever. Through. Top two of his performance, you know, that and The Sopranos and oh. Daredevil. Baby's Day Out? <laughs> Baby, yes, I totally forget that's him. It's so good. I remember him. That was one of the first films yeah. I remember watching him from. Also, Teddy from Memento. Oh, this guy's, yeah, totally. this guy's so good. He, he's... he's He's a heavyweight. He's a legend. He's a legend. Malv, it's not movies we were way too young to see without revealing the age we were in which we first saw this movie. How old were you? I was about 10 years old. I remember this because my brother-in-law, Jose, he actually saw it in theaters with my sister. And when it released on DVD, I clearly still remember the DVD case. And he's like, you have to see this movie. Like, this is the craziest movie I've ever seen. And then, like, we just played it, and like, my mind was blown. I was like, what did I just watch right now? We talked about the cast. We talked about the crew. Malv, where do we start with this movie? I've written papers in college about The Matrix, you know, in different types of classes. Yeah, you're the you dude know? to talk to. That's why, that's why I pounced on the opportunity for this one. I was you like, know? yo, Malv, you are the one. <laughs> right, I had to write, a, a, like, a fucking religious class. I had a paper on the matrix finding about like the love in matrix, you know, examples of that. I did a, another like postmodern paper on talking about the masterpiece of how genre bending the matrix is so much stuff. Yes, definitely. When you're talking about the Western influences on the matrix, you have that final showdown between agent Smith and Neo. You have that little paper flying in the wind. It's supposed to like visually represent uh, similar to the tumbleweed, right? Yeah. It just shows like they're two gunslingers, you know, they're ready to get it on. Did you notice that when you were younger? No, not no. at all. It took, it took, you know, even getting older in high school, that's when I started noticing it more because, uh, you know, Mowgli and I took uh, our film class together. Shout out to Miss Molina, Molina, study of film. This yeah. is one of them. But like, no, uh, college helped a lot, you know, like to help. I was like, oh, now I see that, you know, like just rewatching it and like obviously having our, our film archive and our brain get bigger and bigger then it was easier to be like oh that's that that's that you know i haven't heard that many podcasts or like many other youtubers talk about the action you know because that was my first reaction as a kid that's what sucked me in and i'm gonna say i think that was for like a lot of kids our age and even adults like i think the story was a little bit heavy for its time or would say confusing but the action brought it in and even the action helped tell the story I wouldn't say it's cartoony. It's obviously anime and kung fu inspired, you know, and that's what the Wachowskis, they love. They even said that, that they were inspired by kung fu films and anime and especially comics, you know, because they come from the comic book world. So, like, they wanted to transition what they would see in comics in their mind and onto screen. And the one person they got was the stunt choreographer who I, I don't hear many people talk about is Wu Ping. And they got him from, you know, his Chinese making Hong Kong filmmaking days. And him knowing how to do the mastery of the wire and his stunt team. 
And, like, he didn't want to work in the West. He didn't want to bring his trade, you know, like, what he's known for to the West and, like, have them ruin it. So one of his stipulations was, like, he wanted to make sure that the actors were well-trained and not, like, trained, like, for a month. Like, they had to train for, like, eight months, you know, to make sure to get at least decent, he would say. And another stipulation, which I love, was, like, he asked for, like, an absurd amount of money. And, like, Joel Silver and the Wachowskis are like, yeah, we need him. So, yeah, dude, you're good. And he's like, oh, damn, I thought they weren't going to hire me for that. And then the last thing he asked for was, like, creative control. And it was obvious, like, the Wachowski wasn't going to give him full creative control because they've already come up with, like, a whole bunch of storyboards of, like, shots that they wanted to see in the action scenes. But they agreed to it anyways. And, like, look what it made. Like, this has to be, like, one of the jam-packed action trilogies of all time. I'm a great fan of T2 as well, you know? And, like, that's just one of the action movies that we always bring up of, like, action movies that do both jobs. Bring the action and bring you a fucking story. This is essentially like a hero's journey of the digital messiah. Like, Neo first is just a computer hacker living in what he thinks is the regular world. And then he gets to meet Morpheus and Trinity and find out, like, yo, this world isn't real. Come join us and I'll show you the real world. And he decides to join them because there's nothing for him in this life. And once he gets there, he realizes, like, the world is completely different than he thought. Like, they're living in... They don't even know. They just assume it's like twenty one ninety nine, And then, like, eventually we find out, like, he's supposed to be the one. There's a prophecy about, like, a poor person born in the Matrix who's going to free everybody. And Morpheus believes that to be Neo. But Neo do- and a couple of people on the ship believe it. Cypher, one of the passengers or one of the crew members, he doesn't truly believe it. Like, he's still unsure because he hates the Matrix now. And, you know, we meet other computer programs like the the Oracle who, like, he's supposed to be hearing, like, you are the hero, you know? But she doesn't do that. She gives him, like, what an Oracle would do in, like, Greek mythology is, like, a no answer, you know? Like, it could go either way. Out of all of the Matrix papers you did in college, Malv, which one was your favorite? I would have to say, like, the postmodern paper on the genre bending of it because I like that. And, you know, as a filmmaker, like, later, I appreciated that because I love anime. Uh, One of the ones that I love is Ghost in the Shell. And then they were massively influenced by that. And seeing those type of angles or, like, I felt like there was energy in the action, you know, a different type of energy. And we'll go back to, like, Terminator 2. You know, like, the T-1000 was running behind them after – they, uh, they um, take uh, Sarah out, mm-hmm. and he's, like, clawing that tenseness that you feel. Like, I felt like that. When she's escaping the mental hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I felt that throughout, like, all of the, most of the dramatic action scenes in The Matrix, the original. You know, especially with Agent Smith, because he's such a menacing villain. Malv, you mentioned that you had written this paper in a biblical perspective. Who can you compare Cypher to biblically? Well, you know, we all know that Neo is a, the one, essentially the digital messiah, I'll keep calling him. So, you know, he needs the foe. He needs that one person who backs him, backstabs him in the back, and that's Cypher, the Judas. You know, he's definitely the Judas. He, Like you said, he sells him out, not for 30 pieces of silver, but, you know, but being able to be plugged in, backed into the Matrix, and being having his mind erased. So he was willing to sell out the team. He was willing to sell out Morpheus. He was willing to sell out Neo, Trinity, the cause, Zion, all that stuff. 
what did you think about him saying Morpheus tricking them? Did he trick them or did he set them free? Well, remember, Morpheus says it in this. Uh, he was going to show you that he was only going to show you the truth, you know, but like it might hurt, you know? And I think that's what happened to Cypher. Like he just like wanted to see something for a change and then didn't see that change come fast enough or maybe he felt too important too. That's why, like, because he kind of loves Trinity, you know, like he has a thing for Trinity and then she leaves him essentially and focuses all on Neo. I think he feels backstabbed by that too, even though they never had anything going on. That was an underlying tension, definitely. When Cypher escapes the Matrix, he's planning the ambush and he is talking to Trinity. He's talking to her while she's in the Matrix and yeah, it was just very creepy. For me, because I, you know, I'm a religious studies minor, I saw a lot more of the, and I grew up in a religious household. I saw more of those illusions first, you know, of how they're trying to make him Jesus. They have those lines calling him the Messiah, you know. Another thing to mention too is that the ship, when they unplug from the Matrix, is called the Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. He was Babylon. A, yeah, he was the king of Babylon. Yeah, so like that. Even and then you know I have a fan, fascination with uh, Greek mythology and classic mythology. I took that in college as well, and like. Morpheus is another name for, you know, a god of dreams, you know, and like Trinity that has, you know, Western, like Catholic, you know, Christian like ideology. So that that was the first part of it. But then I see more like how they're trying to say like about society, you know, like how society's trying to control us. And these are the controls that they're doing it by and how a lot of people in the world are either blind and don't understand what's happening or they choose to not see what's happening. And we all have those choices. And there's some of us who, like, we have the choice. We see it and we decide to do something. Or we have a stink, like, for sure we know we're not going to do anything. And I think the Wachowskis try to do that in this one movie. And, like, I know they wanted to do a trilogy. But I think they said enough in the first piece to let it stand alone. Whoa, so you wouldn't mind if they had made more Matrix? Oh, no, 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 fuck, what do you mean? If they stopped making Matrix? No, fuck that, I, I like the, I, I, I'm one of the only people who like the sequels, I saw those like 10 times each when they first came out. Well, yeah, you're talking yeah. about the, you're talking about the first time you saw it, you forgot yeah. to mention your 10 disc box set yeah. with your Neo bobble, like your bust, dude, this guy is the Matrix fan right here. You know, like you need those sequels, but like, I know we're getting too long already, see guys? That's why I feel like it's a very complex, great story. That's why we're talking about it 20 years later. And another paper I was going to like write was action movies before The Matrix and action movies after The Matrix. I feel there's a distinct, different approach and style and stories being told. You wouldn't have Christopher Nolan's Inception today if it wasn't for a movie like The Matrix. Especially, look, they're the same company, Warner Brothers. Like, you, they're high-concept sci-fi movies. I feel that's one of the only genres you could play with so many things and say so many different things. They use elements brought, like, the bullet time. They brought those in video games. The The Matrix did that. I remember playing Path of Neo and Enter the Matrix. Like, those games for those times, like, they were fun, but they were still advancing the story. That's a That was another way the Wachowskis helped extend this franchise you know because those stories are canon uh in uh i think it was path of neo they had niobe and the character who played ghost come in and film more extra like footage to help bridge the gaps between all the stories so like they really really thought this out and i feel like they put their tentacles in the right spot and like what they inadvertently did was like i said help the industry i don't know for a good thing or a bad thing but 
they help give it more style because I feel you wouldn't have a John Wick if you didn't have the Matrix, you know, the, especially the type of fighting, you know, the slow hand-to-hand combat. We didn't even get to how, like, the Matrix used more long shots, you know, instead of, like, having a born identity quick cuts, you know. Like, that's what made John Wick good when it finally came out. We got that breath air again of, like, having longer takes and seeing the action fully. If I were to make another, like, trilogy off the, like, I would do more of, like, a prequel and I wanted to know about, like, the lives of certain members before we get to Neo. Like, I want to know, like, what made Morpheus really become, what, how do you hear the prophecy or why the prophecy impacted him? I even had the title because, like, everything has to do, like, religious illusions. So I wanted it to be, like, The Matrix, The Book of Morpheus, you know, and, like, The Book of Trinity and see how, like, Trinity got there. And I would want to see Cypher, too, and, like, how, why, he, why he went and took the red pill. And then what really made him change, right. you know, his viewpoint. Hey, yo, I got those blue matrix. You want this red matrix? You want that red rabbit? <laughs> that red rabbit, that's what I like. That yeah. sounds so good. Another thing, too, that I wanted to bring up is the rise of the machines. And that's what's happening with, like, the evil Skynet Corporation in the Terminator franchise. And then whatever this is called. What is this called in the Matrix? The Matrix, bro. It's just called the Matrix. Machine City. Machine City. So basically, yes, the Matrix is a simulation. We're being farmed human farms because they're using us as energy computers got that smart so technology technology look where we're at right now are we relying too heavily on technology are we trending towards this mouth the wachowskis and i would say yes i think elon musk would say yeah too. <laughs> <laughs> hey he's the most influential man of the year right oh did he win that award yeah yes i think so over but, kanye yeah. <laughs> Look at us. We're all connected to our phones. We're all connected to social media, which we're going to tell you to join ours later on in the show. But, you know, stay plugged in with us. (laughs) You know, so that's what makes these movies so great. And that's why we love talking about it. That's why it blew our minds the first time and the 50th and 100th time we've seen them. You know, like these filmmakers were very passionate, first of all, of the story they wanted to tell and how they wanted to tell it. And meaning like visually how they wanted it shown to the audience and they inadvertently i think influenced the filmmaking industry in so many ways like i said story we wouldn't have stories like inception we wouldn't have stories like annihilation arrival maybe even interstellar you know i think big studios would probably be like oh there's probably no money in that or like it's too much money they spend a lot of time with this project Mm -hmm. in development man yeah you know and like to them doing their own storyboards just to make sure they get the right angles You know, like they did a shitload of weird stuff with angles. Like I said, bringing long takes back in for an action scene. That was like foreign cinema. That's what was like one of the best things about them. They let the fights breathe because you want to see the whole fight. You want to see the people's reactions like with music, with everything. Like I feel that's why I'm so passionate because I feel that passion every time I watch it. Like to me, I know it's not a there's like plot holes and gaps here and there, but like the finished product is so clean. And I feel when I see the Wachowski's interviews and even the actors interviews of how they worked on it, the script and how much they loved it. Like I feel that. And I feel others feel that part. And like the other casual movie goers definitely see like those societal pieces of the story, you know, what is your major influence, your major takeaway from this, this franchise, this movie? I would, I know I'm not a good writer, but, like, I would always wanted to show, like, great action pieces, a stylized. And, like, I think that's where I got more of, like, 
a stylized eyes for filmmaking, you know, because there's people who do gritty, you know, more realistic. But it's like, no, I like that gloss. But like with that gloss, you could tell a whole bunch of stories differently. Do you appreciate it now more for the action or more for the writing? Oh, for the writing and the, uh, not just for the I feel for the writing as a whole trilogy, because like I do think you need reloaded and revolutions because surprisingly, I'm let you guys know that the first one isn't even my favorite one. This film is not your favorite Matrix. The, no, the second one, Reloaded, is my favorite and was always my favorite. And, like, I feel they that's where they were able to expand, you know. They were able to breathe more. Like the Wachowskis, they put they had to give you, us, the audience, a little sampler like we are giving you guys for the first movie. But then they were given money and more time to expand little pieces. They expanded the themes that they brought in. They expanded the characters, you know, like that's hopefully we want to do. Let us know which part you want us to expand for its own episode. We'll do an episode just on action scenes. You tell us which scenes and we'll break it down and let you know about that. Or like I said, the music is beautiful in this and the whole trilogy. It's so know? influential. That song, the, the fighting song. Yeah. Like, you know, like, so I feel like anything is possible in film, you know, and that's what another influence I saw from the house. Like they did what they wanted to. And others were like, dude, this is impossible. I don't even know what you're telling me. I would have to agree. Malv. I would have to agree. <laughs> Mr. Alvarez. I hate to do this, man. We're out of time. I'm going to have to unplug your mic. No. Plug me in. Leave me plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time. The listeners, we're telling you guys, like my co-host said, we have so much to talk about with this movie. Um, we just have to leave it at that. This is a little bit of a sampler. Let us know if you guys want to hear more because we can get into it. Oh, yeah, and tell us exactly what you want to know. Costume, production design, music, we're all about it. And that is going to conclude our Christmas episode of Movies We Were Way Too Young to See. We hope you had a blast listening. We always have a blast recording. Questions, comments, anything like that, feel free to email us at malvinmogley at gmail.com. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And one more thing, follow us on social media at malv underscore n underscore mowgli. Malv, anything else you want to say? I will also want to be in that praise. I want to say happy holidays to everybody who doesn't celebrate Christmas. And I want to thank the fans because like Mowgli said, it's been pretty much a year since we started this and we're still heading on strong. We got some things up for next year. Hopefully some upgrades in our system, you know, that we're really like, you know, pumped about. And again, we want to thank you guys for listening to us for the year. And just remember to subscribe and tell everybody else to keep listening. Yes, yes. Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Festivus. Stay safe. Happy New Year. Meet us in the Matrix. Have fun, Mr. Alvarez. <laughs>